Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Daisy Cousins Presents. I'm Daisy Cousins, and I am thrilled to be right here on ADH-TV every week, twice a week, and my heavens, do we have an exciting show for you tonight. It's no secret that the left has an ironclad grip on popular culture. Thanks to the left's long march through the institutions, their stranglehold on academia, most of the media, Hollywood, publishing, schools, and in modern times, social media and much of the internet, ensures most issues are presented to the public with a left-wing twist. And since politics is downstream from culture, to quote Andrew Breitbart, that immediately puts conservatives on the back foot when rallying for our cause. Namely, because it is so easy for the left to get away with lying about us. Now, odds are, if you are a conservative and you have publicly expressed an opinion, someone in your social circles has called you a racist or a white supremacist, white nationalist, homophobe, and so on. Not because you are those things, but because the left is so effective at designating any opposing opinions as not only wrong, but evil, and therefore not worth listening to. This is hard enough if you are a civilian conservative. It can cost you your relationships with friends and family, even your job. So imagine being a conservative political commentator on the public stage with an international profile having to field those lies from not just your immediate social circles, but from journalists, politicians, actors, and countless trolls on social media. My guest this evening has copped just about the worst of this compulsive lying from the left throughout the course of her career. In fact, I'd say she's one of the most lied about people on planet Earth. She's even been banned from countries, not because she's any threat to the public, but because the lies that have been told about her have been so constant, vicious, and pervasive, they can be almost impossible to cut through. However, fortunately, my guest also happens to be one of the most courageous people on planet Earth. And if there is anyone who can handle the slings and arrows of the left-wing rabble that seeks to destroy all of us, it's her. She's a YouTuber, 
an activist, an author, a documentary filmmaker, a public speaker, and an all-around magnificent human being. She is the brilliantly talented, the gorgeously beautiful, the fiercely brave, the wonderfully intelligent, the very, very great Lauren Southern. Lauren, it is so <gasps> fabulous to have you here. How are you? It's, it's wonderful to be here. I've never had someone speak about me so kindly. I'm looking around like, you, me? Are you sure about that? <laughs> well, People I meant, are busy slandering me, so I very much appreciate it. Well, I meant every word of it, and trust me, it is all true. I'm so thrilled to chat to you. You've had the most fascinating life and fascinating career, and you certainly started your career with a bang. I mean, you ran as a Libertarian Party candidate in the 2015 <laughs> Canadian federal election when you were 20. What inspired you to do that at such a young age? Oh, I don't even know if I was 20 yet. I may have been 18 or 19. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I didn't actually want to run, believe it or not. I um, I didn't really plan on being in the limelight politically whatsoever, but I had volunteered for the Libertarian Party. I was studying politics in uh, university at the time, and I just wanted to kind of help with, with the background things. But uh, being the Libertarian Party, they didn't necessarily have very many people applying to be candidates for them since you're kind of, you know, throwing yourself out there to take a stance, knowing that you're going to lose. So it's going to be <laughs> difficult. So they, I was one of the only people living in my district that was even volunteering for the party. So they're like, man, we just need people on the ballots. <laughs> Can you run for us? And I went out there, I went and put my signs up. I, it was, it was a bit of a humiliating experience to an extent <laughs> because I was working multiple jobs. I was going to university, trying to keep up with homework. I could barely afford to keep my car full of gas to even get to the candidate debates. And by the time I got there, I was surrounded by, you know, NDP liberals, conservatives who had five debate coaches with them and notes. And I'm like, <laughs> all right. I got a few things I scribbled down between shifts, <laughs> but definitely uh, starting right right into the fire and uh, baptism by fire, rather. It was, it was good for me. It was good for me. A bit of humiliation early on to kind of show me my place in the world of politics, although uh, certainly more to come when you uh, play with the bigger bigger hitters in that world. <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. And I, I think that that start is probably emblematic of, of the phrase, the thing about getting thrown in the deep end is that you learn how to swim very quickly, isn't it? Exactly, exactly. Oh, yeah, it was it was a good lesson for me, but I still was not prepared for what the larger world of politics has mm -hmm. or had for me moving to Toronto, joining Rebel Media, really getting on the world stage, going viral in videos. It, uh, it was like, I personally, after experiencing all that, I don't think anyone should be a public figure or on the internet at all until you're like 25 and your brain is fully developed. But it gave <laughs> me a, a good perspective now. I think I'm starting to get a little better at my analysis of the world. Only took me getting banned from multiple countries, slandered by every large outlet and put on multiple watch lists, but we figured it out. <laughs> Yes. Well, well, look, you know, you know what? The, the problem really isn't you. It's it's them. And, and that's what we're certainly going to go into in, in this interview. I'm very, very keen to talk about all of it. And look, speaking of your media career, as you mentioned, uh, you began with Rebel News at a very young age, 2021. Um, you went viral in a number of videos and you gained international viral attention with a 2015 Rebel News video called 
Why I Am Not a Feminist, where you explained why feminism isn't actually a movement for equality. And let's have a little look at a clip from that video. Men make up 80% of suicide victims, 92% of workplace deaths, 97% of combat deaths, and 77% of homicide victims. Men are objectified, men are raped, men are mistreated. Men are held to ridiculously high societal standards, just like women. Yet feminists continue to place this blanket judgment over all men that they are all privileged and all women that they are all oppressed. Yet, as a woman, I will almost always win custody of children in a divorce case. I will receive less than half the sentence a man does for the exact same crime and actually have my rape and assault accusations taken seriously and I won't be laughed at for not being manly enough. Now this video has one point wow, two. wild. Yeah, I know. And it has yeah, one wild point listening two. to my. I haven't listened to that video in years. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, no, that's fine. I know what you mean. It's very trippy listening to stuff you've done, ages and ages ago. And it, look, it has one point two million views. That video. I, remember, it was highly controversial to say that kind of stuff in 2015, especially as a young woman. How did you manage that publicity that came with that at the time? Oh, man. Yeah, it was not expected. I remember Ezra reached out to me to make a video for the channel. I had just gone to a little conference uh, with a few of my university peers out in Toronto, and he called me up and said, hey, we're starting a new media outlet. Want to make a video? And I figured this would be good for, you know, public speaking, making my arguments as a political science major. This will be helpful. No one in the world can prepare you for going viral overnight, especially in the era of YouTube when they didn't have this mass censorship and everyone was actually seeing it. It was being put onto everyone's feed. So I was showing up at my job, showing up at university and having people come up to me like, you're the girl in the video. And th there's a big difference between YouTube fame and traditional fame. Mm. With traditional fame, you get all of the security guards, the publicists, the people who check your emails for you, make sure that your address and phone number aren't getting doxxed. Going viral on YouTube overnight, you have none of those protections. All you get is, I, I, got, I started getting notes on my car outside my parents' house because I was still living with my parents at the time. I was, you know, getting kicked out of university clubs, getting trouble in class. I was wondering if I'd ever be employed again after this. What was supposed to be like a video I thought might get 200 or 300 views ended up changing my life overnight. And, you know, it's, it's interesting. I still agree with a, a lot of those sentiments. I don't consider myself a feminist today, but it's kind of an age-old... Each gender has their own unique problems. And the mm. fact that we've got this whole gender war still going on today where we're trying to decide who is or isn't more or less oppressed, it's like men and women, individually, there are men who get raped, there are women who get raped. There are, you know, women that are prioritized in certain job fields over men because of government quotas. And then there's countries where women are stoned for, you know, the crime of showing their hair. Mm. It's going to be the individual situation. It's not an argument. It's It's... Each gender deals with their own unique problems. And I, definitely at the time, there was this overwhelming bias that it was only women that struggled. And I'm glad I addressed that. But uh, 
now you got to look at the arguments going on online and uh, temper it a bit to the to the age because it's going a bit far the other way sometimes these days with the red pill stuff. I think. Yeah, I, I agree with you, and and that's and that's the the shame of it, isn't it? I mean, there was sort of a sweet spot I remember around 2017 mm. when you know men's rights were being talked about in a really healthy way, like you know with Cassie J's the red pill. Uh, that's when I sort of came onto the scene as well. But I have seen some real toxicity from not necessarily, you know, as you said, no mig tau, but what I call pig tau, the you know, the the ones who are really incels but just justify their lack of sex appeal uh, by saying they elect not to be with women. Um, what do you think we, you know, people, women like us, can do to to temper that conversation? Oh, I, I mean, it's hard to say because so much of it is people genuinely making a lot of money off of stirring up victim complexes. It's almost identical to what you see in the left-wing progressive debate where it's like, you are a victim, the entire world is against you, white people are the reason your life is horrible, and people have just found different markets to sell this to, whether it be women or what we're seeing with men in some cases. Actually, you don't need to improve yourself. You don't need to learn how to talk to people and respect people. It is all women's fault. And even if you did get into a relationship, it would probably fail anyways, and she'd steal all your money. So just hate women and definitely keep spending money on my live streams and my blogs and my books and keeping <laughs> that victim complex. And the, the worst part is it becomes these echo chambers, right? So you have someone who goes through a horrible divorce, uh, man or woman, and they find these echo chambers that tell them nothing is your fault. And then all of the people that they're around have also been through a horrible experience with a man or a woman. So it justifies to them the idea that, oh, well, all of my friends here have also had women steal their money, be horrible to them, you know, cheat on them. So that must be all women. But they're not going out and hanging out with normal people. They're not going out of this circle. It's just a eternal spiral of self-victimization and dehumanization of the other sex. And yeah, it's, it's become per pervasive in multiple pockets online, whether it be uh, men's or women's pervasive victim complexes that we mm. see. And it's it's not healthy either way. You're, you're not making yourself happier. No one's, uh, that, that idea of MGTOW, no problem with it, right? Go yeah. your own way. Yeah, me uh, too. If you don't want, no one wants you to be in a relationship if you don't want to be in one. Do what's best for you, right? But there's, there's nothing more obviously bitter than watching someone say, I want nothing to do with the other gender, and then dedicating the rest of their life to complaining about the other gender. It's <laughs> a childish level of obvious bitterness, like trying to announce, I'm leaving the party and slamming the door. And when no one cares, you come back in and keep doing it over and over again <laughs> until you get someone's attention. Just leave. Enjoy yourself. <laughs> <laughs> well, exactly. I mean, I have absolutely no problem at all with the men going their own way philosophy. But uh, when you've got guys who I think, and I've had MGTOW guys agree with me on this, who, who were just trolls, um, you're not really going your own way if you're spending all of your days on the internet talking about women. I mean, it, it's, it, it's very, very no. strange. Now, Lauren, I have been saying for years uh, that you are one of the most lied about people in the world. I mentioned it in my intro as well. Uh, would you agree with that sentiment? <laughs> in the world? Uh, you know, I'm probably, I reckon there's a lot more people that have been lied about more than me, but I'm probably in the top 5%. I'll say that <laughs> for sure. Maybe 1%. Yeah, I'm up there. <laughs> yeah, I, because yeah, some... 
It, it's, it's appalling, isn't it? And, and some of the lies that people tell about you are completely unhinged. I mean, we, we've all seen the stuff with you called a white supremacist and a white nationalist and anti-immigration and all of that stuff. Anyone who spends five minutes reading your stuff or watching your videos will know that's not the case. Some of the lies are unhinged. I mean, I've seen at least one person on Twitter who accused you of shooting at a refugee boat and then laughing as it sunk, which is a total distortion of the facts. I mean, how does it get to that point? Well, to be clear, it was multiple refugee ships. They were all children and puppies, <laughs> and I used a torpedo. <laughs> Just if we're going to get the facts straight here, all right? Um, yeah, no, that one's always a fun one. I'm not. I'm not joking. That that was. Uh, like there were multiple articles that reported I shot a flare gun at <laughs> <laughs> refugees. There were no refugees in the vicinity, first of all. It was not a firing flare gun. One that was an Italian article, I guess there was something lost in translation. They said it was a torpedo. <laughs> so some of these people that have gotten these lies wrong, you know, unfortunately they just believe and trust the media. They have outsourced their own thinking and perception of the world to to journalists. And that's the consequence of doing that is believing these very silly things. And, you know, uh, also people just, they, they need cartoonized villains. It's really hard to hate other humans. Once you've actually sat down with them, heard their life story, you know, their experiences, why they actually believe the things they believe. Um, most people, you can actually understand how they got where they are, even even Antifa members. Like I've met people that are ex-Antifa members that will explain to me how, how their thinking got so warped. And you're like, oh, OK, I can actually see that. Like you were in an abusive household that had this like unhinged view of evangelical Christianity or whatever. That was nothing normal, remotely normal to the average Christian. And that kind of jaded you to that and pushed you further to one side. And then you changed. You can really understand people when you humanize them and sit down with them. Uh, but that's not really politically conducive to selling papers. That's not conducive to getting a bunch of money for your super PAC or your activist organization, the ADL, SPLC, whatever it might be. You need villains. They are desperate for them, right? Mm -hmm. um, and it's very difficult to sue media outlets, as I'm sure you know, especially in the Western world. There's a massive burden of proof. You go to a, a lawyer, which I have, regarding some of the outlets that have written things about me holding flare guns or being a white supremacist and whatnot. And it's like, all right, we're going to need a $100,000 down payment, uh, uh -huh. you know, uh, just a retainer. So the, it's a very strange world where I made a video on this a while ago called sainthood for sale. Only the rich get to be able to have the right to protecting their reputation in this brave new world we're living in. Truly, if you are a poor person that decides to speak up, the media can slander you five ways to Sunday and you'll never be able to do anything about it. God forbid you're one of these 17-year-olds that someone found a TikTok video of you saying a naughty word and you lose your Harvard scholarship, mm. your life's ruined forever. If you came from a very wealthy, connected Democrat family or something, they would have had that story smushed before it even saw the light of day, right? So there's this very weird truth class system that exists, not to use Marxist terminology, but uh, <laughs> that's what it is. And funny enough, all the people that claim to be Marxists really like to utilize it against the working class critiquing them. Yeah, it's 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 fascinating. All the all the sort of university academics that I've encountered to call themselves Marxists really hate the working class. So it's, it's another interesting mm -hmm. cognitive dissonance. Now, 
speaking of lies, one of the biggest lies or series of lies ever told about you was from a left-wing journalist writing for The Atlantic, which is an awful lefty publication, named Daniel Lombroso. Now, you and I spoke about this at the time, um, but just to give the viewers a bit of context, he told you he was doing a piece on you and pretended to be your friend for a long time to extract personal information. Then he constructed a totally false reality that you were this dreadful alt-right white nationalist pick-me woman, uh, both in a 2020 article for The Atlantic and also a documentary he made which was supposedly about the far right. Um, and that included, it included you, Mike Cernovich and Richard Spencer. Yeah. Now, first of all, putting you and Mike Cernovich, who was really just another pretty stock standard conservative, in the same basket as Richard Spencer, who is an actual white, uh, white nationalist and a racist, is as wrong as it is offensive. But it was the personal betrayal from Daniel Lombroso that really took its toll on you, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, to me, I, I trusted him as a journalist because I didn't think it was humanly possible to falsely befriend someone for four years just to get a story that ended up flopping. Like it was supposed to, this, this movie, White Noise, they, I remember seeing the title come out and it had the OK hand sign on it, which was a meme. Mm. Oh my goodness. And uh, they called it White Noise to kind of insinuate, right? Oh, it's just static. You're not even saying anything. It's just white people saying garbage. Uh, so so no, no serious analysis of anything that myself or Mike could be saying that has any weight to it, right? Just a total garbage hit piece. But um, th there was never a moment that I thought someone had the capability to pretend to be someone's friend for four years. I mean, I've done pieces where I've interviewed someone for an hour and then I've released the interview and it didn't make them look very good. And, you know, it, it's sometimes that even when I've gone and done streeters and it's been someone's own words that make them look bad because they say something insane, I still kind of feel bad about publishing that, right? I'm like, mm. uh, someone's it's not their best moment, right? And maybe they'll change their mind in the future, evolve as a human being. It never feels good publishing someone that's publishing something that's going to make someone else look bad. Now, if it were someone that I were very good friends with and trusted and deliberately cut down to make them look as horrible as possible, I, I truly didn't think this was in the scope of uh, something a human could do that seemed relatively normal, but that was what Daniel did. And it was for the purpose of trying to extend and advance his own career. And it didn't work. Uh, it wasn't a very good movie. It was supposed to go to Sundance Film Festival. It was supposed to go on Netflix. Both of them rejected it. It ended up getting optioned and they sold it off to Apple TV or something where it was pretty unpopular. I haven't met a whole lot of people who have watched it. So I, I think Daniel, because they spent so much money with The Atlantic on making this film and couldn't find anything that shocking that Mike or I did. I think the most shocking thing they got in the whole movie, four years of following me around, was um, I said something along the lines of democracy is like gang rape. And they had <laughs> cut out my whole explanation where I was like, yeah, it's, you know, the exact same founder statement of it's like, nine wolves and one sheep voting on what to have for dinner. It, it can be a very 
awful thing. You've seen dictators, you know, Nazis, democratically elected. Mm. And this is a, a horrific thing that has led to the deaths of many people. So we can't always acquiesce and just say democracy is good. They cut out that whole explanation, put democracy is like gang rape, and then bam, that's that's the most shocking thing they got in the entire movie. So you spend four years following someone around trying to expose modern day, you know, Nazism and the revival of the Fourth Reich or whatever. And you get essentially nothing. So Daniel has to then go and try to do a piece for the Atlantic so he can at least claim, I didn't waste my four years. He makes this piece, the alt-right's most famous woman. I remember it coming up on my phone, trending on Apple and seeing my face there and being like, oh my goodness, here we go. And it was truly shocking how much this man lied in the piece. I was able to get a legal team to contact the Atlantic and point out some of the lies that he put in the article. Some of them were so blatantly, obviously false mm. that the Atlantic even issued an apology to me, at least privately. <laughs> uh, one of them, this is just an example. Um, he had said I was stealing my subscribers' money to go stay at fancy chateaus in Paris, and I just whined and dined myself there on all of the donations I got. No, uh, the because of the migrant crisis, all of the hotels in Paris were like a thousand euros because they had so many uh, Africans staying in them. We couldn't <laughs> find anywhere to stay. We wanted to get the cheapest option. So Daniel from the Atlantic calls me and says, hey, I found a chateau for only 100 euros an hour outside of France if you want to come stay here. I said, amazing. It'll be a bit of a drive, but we can save money. So I went and I booked the same place he booked and recommended for me, which he then proceeded to put in his article as me vacationing at fancy chateaus and drinking wine oh my on my gosh. subscribers' money. I was able to send those texts to the Atlantic and they took it out of the article. But all of the other things that I didn't have exact proof for that, even though I had proved that this man was a liar and was willing to lie blatantly, mm -hmm. despite proof, uh, all of the things that were just he said, she said, they just left in the article. And there was some pretty atrocious nonsense mm. that was included. But, you know, like I said, retainer for someone to go on against them on a defamation case grand. is uh, going to be like a hundred grand. Yeah. Although it is, uh, it is interesting. Sorry, I just, I know I'm going on a bit no, of a no, rant no, no, here. No, 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 I want to hear. I want to hear. Yeah, it's, it's interesting because one of the main points that a lot of these journalists that followed me and got so upset with me back in 2016, 17, 18, was over my criticisms of Islam, right? Uh, I was banned from the UK over it, questioned under Schedule mm. 7 Terrorism Act uh, for uh, my, my bigotry against the, the Islamic community, uh, which, of course, my criticisms have only ever been about terrorism and uh, extremists, mm, you know, radicalism. Yeah. We're talking hanging people for, yeah, for, uh, for disagreeing. Anyways, uh, a lot of these people who horrifically slandered me and said that I, I was the individual that was going to bring back another Holocaust or genocide or something are, are now sitting here watching protests in the streets of Sydney where people are saying, you know, gas the Jews in, in these rallies when these journalists were slandering me for walking through communities like Lakemba and getting nearly arrested by the police for asking questions there. And it's a bit ironic mm. that they wanted to paint all of the people who were questioning radicals within these communities as the real Nazis and the real bad guys. And now we're sitting here and we're kind of seeing whose opinions have acclimated to be more radical. Exactly. And 
Yeah, uh, I mean that. I mean, I think you guys made a mistake. I think they made a huge, <laughs> a huge mistake. I, I mean, yeah, uh, that that appalling protest where people were yelling, um, Palestinian Hamas supporters were yelling, "Gas the Jews!" Like that's that's right out of Nazi, literal Nazi sloganeering. But like you know, no one seems. Um, people of, I mean, the BBC was reluctant to even call Hamas a, ter a, ter a terror group, you know, recently. It's appalling. Mm -hmm. And there is this real desperation, um, isn't there, from these journalists to lie about you and to lie about conservatives. And I mean, on, on the subject of, of Daniel and his article, some of the stuff in it, I remember reading it at the time, was so petty and salacious. Like he was talking about ex-boyfriends of yours and dates you went on. I mean, what is that? It it was so strange. I actually think Daniel is a bit obsessed with me, if I'm going to be honest, yeah. like truly deeply obsessed with me. Yeah. And it was kind of creepy because he went on to do tons of articles and interviews. He even did one with a local paper in my community. I think it was like Abbotsford, BC. And he would make up the most absurd fan fictions of our interactions that I had ever heard. <laughs> and, and conversations that, you know, we had once and I never thought about them again in my life because they, you know, we were just chatting on the road. One, for example, um, I was going to have Christmas with my family and I was asking him like, oh, you know, you're, you're Jewish. Like, what, what do you celebrate for Christmas? Like, what's, what's, what's your usual you know, traditions and background. And I was expressing like genuine curiosity, like you've got a different cultural background to me. And he managed to spin this into something that was anti-Semitic. I, I don't know how it, in the article it was like, oh my God, Lauren was fascinated by my Jewishness, Jewishness with an anti-Semitic ting to it. And I'm like, I was very curious to learn about your culture and your background in a meaningful way. And if you can spin that into some victim complex, because you hate me because your movie bombed since it was garbage and I wasn't angry <laughs> enough and Nazi enough for it. Fine. But this has got to stop somewhere. But yeah, like talking about, and, and of course the stuff about ex-boyfriends, my life, my opinions, my feelings, none of it actually lined up with reality. And if it was, you know, you'll get the best lies are where you've got some truth to them, but you've portrayed it in such a twisted manner that it's like not even resembling the truth anymore. So it'll be like, okay, I dated a guy at this time. And then he'll add in all of these extra details that he imagined <laughs> in his fan fiction of what my life would look like. Oh God. Uh, sad. It's sad. It's sad. Cause I really, I had him come out to where I live and have dinner with my family. They treated him, made dinner for him, laughed with him. Like, like we, we truly treated him like a human being, nothing mm. but love, nothing but kindness, laughter. And um, yeah, to see someone have a headline and a career be more important to them than truth. I mean, we interviewed high school friends of mine. We interviewed my professors. We interviewed family members of mine. None of those interviews made it in the movie. Mm. Not a single one of them made it in the article. Why? Because my professor... Ron Dart, who uh, sent me a lovely email after the article was released, just shocked and disgusted by the entire piece. Everything he said was complete opposite of the narrative. My high school friends, no, Lauren was never racist. We had a super diverse friend group. Mm. Oh, Got to cut that. That can't go in there, right? All of that stuff was completely cut from the film for a reason. And that's why the most um, useful, useful lying mechanisms are just by reserving parts of the truth. Yeah, you know? exactly. Lying it, by omission it, is is an yeah. incredibly powerful tool. 
And like that, I remember when that article came out, Lauren, and um, you know, you and I corresponded. I made a video about it, um, refuting a lot of his points. Mm. And I, I'll say, I'll said it then. I, I'll say it again. I was, it, I was disgusted. You know, it's it's weirdly obsessive, and in my opinion, sort of psychopathic. He could do that, and I just have so much sympathy for you because it, it's that that kind of lying Thanks, about Susie. you. You know, absolutely, absolutely. It was it was horrific, um, and it's it's. The kind of lies from just unscrupulous, in my opinion, cretinous people like Daniel Lombroso um, that really affect your life in other ways. As, as you mentioned, I mean, you've been banned from countries. Um, and the reaction of a lot of governments has just been downright hysterical. I mean, the interesting one is you were banned <laughs> from the UK. The ban from the UK, not for planting bombs or making terrorist threats, but for distributing flyers that said Allah is gay, which UK authorities decided was somehow racist. Tell us about that situation. Yeah, there had just been an article published in Vice that was referring to Jesus Christ as transgender. And I, I just had this thought. I was like, there's just no way these people would ever play this game with any other religion. They just wouldn't have the confidence because there's not Christians going around beheading people for this kind of stuff. You know, you go in Europe and someone blasphemes or Charlie Hebdo publishes a picture of the prophet and they're getting beheaded. That's the thing that happens. You never see Christians do that. So it's really an easy target when you want to be an edgy atheist and criticize religion to always just gun for Christianity. And I figured let's try applying this LGBTQ agenda to Islam and see if we have the same reaction from the public of peaceful acceptance of the critique or or integration of progressive ideology. So I went out and I held a little bit of a pride parade with a few of my gay friends out in Luton, which if you don't know Luton in the UK is very, <laughs> very ethnically not diverse <laughs> because it's almost entirely uh, Muslim. Mm. But, um, and I, I say ethnically, but I guess religiously. Yeah. But uh, we set up these posters and signs and we hand them out and we say, you know, you want to talk, would you like to talk to us about, you know, LGBTQ ideology and Islam and how Allah accepts everyone of all sexualities? And people were not happy about that. They were not impressed. <laughs> they started coming up to us, ripping the signs up, spitting on us, screaming at us. And eventually the police decided that this was a disturbance of the peace. Of course, we weren't disturbing the peace, but no. We were causing our, our presence was causing other people to disturb the peace. And I think the police kind of did a little calculation in their head of, well, can we get rid of the entire population of Luton or can we get rid of these three people who are utilizing their free speech and decided uh, it was much easier to get rid of the law abiding citizens than the people who might riot. Mm. So they pulled us aside and uh, kicked us out, told us we'd be arrested if we didn't leave. All right, we packed up. We had that video in our pocket to publish at some point. We, we actually wanted to do the same thing at a Christian church and a few other places as well to compare the reaction. But uh, that didn't end up happening because the next time I came into the UK, I was coming through Calais, uh, Paris, uh, France, and I was stopped and pulled in at the border under Schedule 7. Mm -hmm. If you don't know what Schedule 7 is, it's the Terrorism Act, which if you are suspected of being a terrorist, they will arrest you under, and you actually have no right to free speech. So it's a very unique, or sorry, not free speech, you have no right to re remain silent, mm. which is a very, very unique law across the world. Very rarely will that happen. So they put me in a little room offered me some curry. I got to sit in detention for a while and then they brought in investigators and brought me to 
uh, a tiny hot room where they had a giant tape deck like you see in the movies and <laughs> interrogation room, you know, two side mirror kind of ordeal, put on mm. the tape deck and they start asking me, uh, how do you feel about mowing down uh, Muslims in cars? I'm like, <laughs> generally pretty negative, yeah. you know, generally not a, a hobby I partake in. <laughs> No. What are you going to ask me next? How do I feel about kicking puppies? Like, it, it, it's almost like they want you to hang. It, it, they have nothing. And I know they have nothing because I was never charged. But uh, they have nothing and they want to see if they can get you to say something so they can arrest you under this and then make a big deal of it and say, oh, Lauren was a terrorist. Don't listen to her, this, that. But of course, they got absolutely nothing on me after the time ran out. I was able to ask for a lawyer and they weren't able to get a lawyer to be in time before they had to release me from detention. Mm. So uh, I think it was like eight or nine hours, maybe more overall. They brought me to a tiny little, it, it wasn't, I, I don't know, I wouldn't call it a jail cell, but it was like this little locked room where I had a little bench that I could sit on. And eventually they uh, kicked me out of the country and no one no one prepares you for being kicked out of a country. Like, what happens? Do they put you on a flight? Do they, you know, just plop you on the other side of the border? In this case, that is what happened. They literally just plopped me on the other side of the border. They oh went gosh. to a giant gate, opened it up, me with my little bag, and said, au revoir, and <laughs> locked it. And I'm in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> I'm just looking around. It was like early in the morning because I had gotten arrested in the night and questioned throughout. So I, I walked around until I found a McDonald's and wait, waited outside it until it opened so I could charge my phone and figure out where I was going to go from there. But yeah, mm. they eventually the reason they kicked me out was uh, they, they gave me a form and it said uh, racism. Racism was why I was denied, which once again makes very little sense considering I was critiquing a religion. Mm. But, uh, you know, you'll have to take that up with the British government if you want an explanation, because I still don't have one. No, and I reckon, um, I've always thought this, whoever made that decision that you were somehow racist for distributing flyers that said, you know, Allah is gay, has just re revealed their own homophobia, because there's nothing wrong with being gay. So why is it racist to say Allah is gay? And not only that, their own racism, because mm. you're assuming their own bigotry. You yeah. assume every Muslim is ethnic. There's no white Muslims. Really? Yeah. Really? Mm. No. Naughty. Not good. No, it's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's not good. And it's what I've always, always said about the left, their whole, everyone's a racist. It's all just projection, I think, for their own internal badness. Um, certainly that yeah. was the case, I think, with the UK government. And they weren't the only country that kicked up a, a stink about you. Um, New Zealand did, and so shamefully did my home country of Australia. Um, oh, God. Initially, um, both countries denied you a visa for your speaking tour with Stephen Molyneux back in 2018. Um, eventually, they approved you. You're not a terrorist. You don't call for violence. You're not calling to overthrow governments. You're not agitating for a revolution, unlike some left-wing activists. What on earth are these politicians and bureaucrats afraid of? I mean, it's it's hard to say. I've heard whispers of why I'm on some of these lists. I know I'm on a list with uh, Interpol. I'm on a list with most of the Five Eye nations where I get stopped. In fact, I just went to the U.S. last week just for a visit, and I got pulled in for questioning. It's a regular part of my life now, and it's so strange to say that. Like, I didn't think, you know, I never, when I was a kid, thought getting into this and just having opinions, no violence. Like you said, I have no criminal record, zero, in any country. 
Um, I never thought that I would end up like literally being in federal government investigations for my opinions, but that's my life. And it's been very difficult. It's been, I I don't talk about it that often Mm -hmm. with people and like all the times that I get pulled in by the feds and, you know, just I've missed flights. I've missed tens of thousands of dollars in flights from them questioning me for hours and hours on end till I miss my, you know, scheduled flight. But, Mm -hmm. um, and, and the questioning sessions, it almost feels like, how could I explain it? Like they're, they're just wanting to torment me with the mundanity of it all. They ask me the same damn questions every time. I swear it's just to get me to lose my mind. And it's never anything they couldn't learn from a Google search of my opinions. It's never anything they couldn't learn by just watching my videos. It's just like the same ritual. Are you a white supremacist? Uh, do you hate people? What are your movies about? Tell us that like just on a reel, like I literally just had to do this last week. I I was sat down and questioned again and again and again, just because I wanted to do a shopping trip in the States. It's like insane. But that's like I said, I don't, it already causes enough trouble in my life. So I don't talk about it that much because I feel like if I went out and really raged against it, um, I'd find myself in 10 times longer questioning sessions that I already have to deal with. Um, but yeah, when it comes to visas, I'm actually on a list as well that will automatically deny my visa. So if I want to go to Australia, the UK, anywhere that has e-visas. So for an e-visa, you just go on a website, you punch in your passport number and you pay like $10 and you get your e-visa and you can fly over, especially if you're from Canada, because we have reciprocal, you know, travel laws with a lot of these countries. Mine's automatically flagged. So it'll just deny me right away. And Mm -hmm. I have to put in for special visa applications, which in places like Australia and New Zealand are already denied automatically as well, because I'm on um, vacuum. Your, your vacuum list, which yeah. is for criminals and people with terrorist pasts and all these kind of things where they, they take years to assess and address whether you're allowed to come in the country. And when I initially uh, came to Australia back in 2018, 2019, they only took me off the list after I said I would no longer be partaking in public politics. So this is directly associated with me having the opinions I have and making them publicly. Um, My life becomes more difficult. I'm not allowed to travel, visit people, visit family, uh, so long as I have the opinions I have. And the governments have made it quite clear if I stop having those opinions and I stop sharing them with the world, then they'll allow me to have my freedom and rights that every other civilian and citizen has to gets to have, right? Mm. Um, I'm, I'm not allowed in Australia right now. I couldn't return if I wanted to. <laughs> <laughs> they uh, will not accept any of my visas, applications, nothing. And uh, that's likely the same for the UK. That's Mm. uh, the same for New Zealand, I'm sure. And it was the same for America for two years. Mm. During the COVID period, I wasn't allowed in the States. And and a lot of people would be like, oh, do you have like a specific ban, Lauren? Is there like a big, you know, have they sent you a letter? Well, no, they won't do that. How it works is it's... I, I mean, they do this for criminal organizations. The feds and governments will do this for lots of different groups, activist groups as well. It's just interference. Like when you see these giant lawsuits that activists are having with the government over free speech, like they shared a meme and then they're getting pulled into the courts or J6 protesters, whoever it is, the government don't actually care if they win these lawsuits. That's what people have to understand because they can make up another one and another one and another one. It is to cause interference. 
It's to make people think twice about being activists. It's to make people who are activists so caught up in legal fees that they can't do anything else. Mm. The point is to make your life difficult, not to prevent anything from happening. They're not actually worried I'm going to do anything. They don't. They know I've got no criminal record. I've never committed an act of violence no, in my of entire not. life, let alone crime, right? So they know this, but they want to cause as much interference as possible in my life so that I think twice about speaking up in a way that is inconvenient for the regime. And it's, I'm not going to lie, it's worked to an extent. There are things that I still really make my voice heard. I still talk about the things I care about, but they definitely make me think twice about how much more difficult my life is going to be if I, you know, make myself too heard. Mm. Uh, I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to, you know, put on rose colored glasses and pretend it doesn't change people's lives and trajectory. It does. Mm. Mm, And that's, that's, like I'd like to remind our viewers, Lauren is not yet 30 and she's had to <laughs> cope with all of this, you know, this kind of stuff that affects people as well, um, often for the rest of their lives. And one of the reasons I'm so admiring of you and, and, and your courage. Thanks. And the wonderful thing about you is that you you rise above this this ridiculous hardship so beautifully and you, also, you create beautiful things. And you, you've even written a few books um, and I actually happen to have one of them right here. You've also written a couple of children's books, and this is my <laughs> copy, Lauren, Aww. of the 80s. You have it. Of course I know. I got it when it came out. This has been sitting on my bookshelf for a, a couple of years now. It's called The ABCs of Morality. I'll read the blurb for the audience. While society has progressed, it seems we've left behind the basic building blocks of our civilization, our morals. We know how to cure disease, TikTok and Zoom, and even how to fly to the moon. But do we know how to be humble? Do we know how to act with wisdom? Do we know how to think for ourselves? The ABCs of Morality is a fun, wholesome primer on basic concepts of politics and soul that are too often forgotten in our confusing modern world. The book is written and illustrated for readers of all ages to enjoy. Lauren, I I love this. Uh, What inspired you uh, to write children's books? Well, I have a little one. Yeah. (laughs) I have a toddler right now. And, you know, I will say after writing children's books, um, I've got another one called... uh, Henry, Henry, the sheepdog and the wolf of Mossville. Mm. And the first one is talking about how slander can spread very quickly in the newspaper and how you can't believe everything you read and you really have to meet people and get to know them deep down. And of course, I don't know if something ever happened to me, if I wasn't around to explain to my son one day who I am and what my thoughts on the world are. I hope he could read my little books and know don't believe everything you read about mom. (laughs) I uh, have a very different, (laughs) I am a very different person from how the press and the media describe me personally. And anyone who knows me in my personal life uh, knows that's very true. Mm. And then the other one is just, I, I truly do believe that one of the greatest civilizational crises we have is just the, it's the simple things. It's mm. the everyday things. It's how we live our life in, in every little moment. You know, uh, I, I can't remember if it was J.R.R. Tolkien. Uh, well, I love the way that J.R.R. Tolkien writes his books and that it's always the hobbits, the unsuspecting people that change the world. And it's the everyday acts of ordinary citizens that, that change the world. And just by maybe convincing one person in their life that 
being a little more humble, not partaking in groupthink, not being a zealot uh, is, is the right way to go. I, I believe that kind of message can change the world, especially to children. Mm. Well, I, I, I think so too. And it, it's so important. Um, you know, the left has just control of so many children's TV shows. I mean, look at Disney. Mm -hmm. It's important that people on, on the right and even in the center create this kind of content. Um, and I, I want to read out look, what this, this book, I just think it's so gorgeous. What Lauren has done here and George, they've got, you know, O is for opinion, <laughs> R is for reason, S is for slander, which I'm sure is a definition that hits close to home. Oh. But I loved this. You o should opinion. <laughs> now, what was it? Oh, you did? I was going to say my favorite is Utopia. Oh, Utopia. <laughs> oh, let's find Utopia. Utopia. U that one's U quite fun. Here we go. U is for Utopia. I'll read it out. Here we go. I'm hearkening back to my childhood days of watching <laughs> play school. U is for Utopia. Utopia is fun. It's the perfect society. No work, no evil, no fear or anxiety. Nothing but playing and eating ice cream. Doesn't it sound like a beautiful dream? That is because, like a dream, it's not real. It's just a fancy, an empty ideal. If someone says they have a perfect vision, odds are they just want to sow more division. We can aspire to be truly grand, but we must be real about what we demand. Humans aren't perfect. The proof that can back this is what all utopias look like in practice. What a fabulous warning <laughs> against communism and socialism, Lauren. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I look at this now and I'm like, when I say for all ages, it might be a little old for the toddlers <laughs> and the age group I was thinking of at the time. I'm like, oh man, these concepts are actually quite complicated. But I do think that they, they spark a fun conversation with young kids. What does that mean? Well, what are they talking about? Well, you know, there's been a lot of big ideas that aren't realistic that have caused a lot of suffering because people are trying to pursue these perfect visions that can't be achieved. Mm. And that happens for all of us in our own lives as well. Anyone who pursues perfection is going to fall short and be very disappointed. Yes. So I think we need to uh, more so prime ourselves to accept and be happy with the complexity of life, mm. <laughs> living in the tension. It's a little bit of a struggle. And if you can find happiness in that and uh, enjoy some of the more simple things rather than the pie in the sky dreams, I think we'd all be a lot happier. But unfortunately, we're constantly living in the eternal struggle for uh, the, the utopias our politicians are dragging us towards, you know, a, a world free of racism and sexism. And all it will take is half your money from your <laughs> checking account and banning white males from having certain jobs and forcing women onto boards and all sorts of nonsense that is making our lives worse in the pursuit of utopia. Mm. Never a good thing. <laughs> no, it, it's, it, is, it, is, it is never a good thing, you know, that it is, uh, you know, God's kingdom is currently in heaven. Um, until it, and until it's created on earth, yeah. well, we're the don't trust anyone who is trying to sell some sort of paradise. And look, speaking of the beautiful things that you create, we have to talk about your documentaries. I love them. Um, I think you've got four so far, Farmlands, Borderless, uh, Crossfire, and um, American Mirage. Uh, we've got just a little clip. Look at you go. No, 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 I, lo I love them. We've got a clip, let's just play, of uh, the trailer for Borderless while we're here.
fait de la merde là comme ça, tu prends tes vies à risque. C'est un grand erreur. Now, Lauren, Borderless made me cry. Um, when I watched it. It is, it is so moving and I have to commend you, it's the fairest examination of the European migrant crisis I have ever seen. Um, and what I loved was the only people that come out of that as the villains are the actual villains, which is the human traffickers and the NGOs um, that encourage it. You make the, these beautiful films. And before we go, uh, we have to talk about this new documentary uh, enterprise that you're, you're embarking on. Tell us, tell us, what does the future hold for your filmmaking? Oh man, um, I've got two new films coming out soon. Actually, one is infringed. It's fully complete. It is a beautiful, beautiful project. Uh, it's all about gun rights in America. We went across the States. We spoke to gun YouTubers like Donut Operator and Brandon Herrera. We went to <laughs> Baltimore and did, um, what, what do they call it? Night crawling, where we had a police radio scanner and drove around finding shootings in the area. We went and spoke to uh, Cody Wilson, who does Ghost Gunner and does the 3D printing of guns. We went to, uh, we went to people who um, had their children be victims of mass shootings. And we really got every sort of wide variety of opinion on the understand it as possible. Mm. And I think it's going to be a the most comprehensive documentary on gun rights, for sure, that I that's ever been made. <laughs> Maybe I'm incredible. having a bit too much hubris here, no, but no, we no. really put a lot of effort into it. It's very well done, and, and much love to uh, my director, uh, filmer, filmographer, uh, John Dutois. He worked very hard on it, and I have a lot of respect for him. And mm. then I've got another one called Empty Love that is coming out as well, which is an analysis of modern dating Yeah, and uh, kind of the, the hookup culture, Tinder, what it's all done <laughs> to us. But it's from a very, once again, empathetic Perspective, yeah. I, I think that everyone is a, I really don't appreciate the people who come out here and, you know, want to condemn all people who have partaken in uh, the hookup culture, Tinder, mm. even OnlyFans, whatever it is. I think a lot of young people are victims of the age they have been born into and what is normal for them. Yeah, and absolutely. The parenting and the education that they've gotten. I mean, I'm not going to go out here and uh, call a, a, a six-year-old that is like starting to transition an idiot mm. no they've been manipulated by the system that they're living in and yeah. growing up in and, and what we need parents. to do is hope for change and hope for healing yeah so the film is very much from a how did we get here why is this bad for us and can we find healing mm. is it possible to find healing after relationships have been Blown so yeah. broken by by culture mm. and it sounds yeah, it's, uh, beautiful to me yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd, I'd imagine it is, it is a, a very important film to you, Lauren, and I can't wait to watch them. Lauren Southern, this has been a, an absolute pleasure. It's been delightful to catch up with you. Everyone, remember, you can follow Lauren on YouTube. Just type in her name. She's on Twitter. She is on Instagram. Go to, I think, it's Lauren, is it laurensouthern.com is, is your website? Dot net. Someone yeah. stole dot com. Oh, so no. dot net. Dot not. <laughs> Lauren Southern dot not e dot net. Everyone go there. Check out her material. <laughs> Lauren, I have so much love and admiration for you. I do hope we can do this again. This was great fun. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Daisy. It was a pleasure. Keep up the good work. You too. Thank you. Well, that's all we have time for on Daisy Cousins Presents. 
What a marvellous talent is the great Lauren Southern. Keep an eye out for her future projects. They are going to be just incredible. Make sure you tune in next week for more of the world's most fascinating creative people. Good night, world. I'll see you soon.